Let's begin week number one of our new series, Fresh Air. I'm going to call this message The Choice. And we base this series off really an obscure verse in the Bible about an obscure character in the Bible that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's just a, a guy that no one really ever heard of up until this point, never really hear of him again, but he just blessed Paul. He, he really just blessed Paul. And I want to share this scripture with you today. 2 Timothy 1 verse 16. I encourage you to follow along in your notes. There's fill in the blanks for you as well as all the scripture available there. May the Lord bless Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus. Not just, not just Onesiphorus, but all his family. Paul liked this guy and he just wanted him blessed, not just him, but he wanted his entire family blessed because he visited me and encouraged me often. His visits revived. In the Greek, that word revive literally means to help recover your breath. His visits helped him recover his breath. His visits revived me like a breath of fresh air. His visits revived me like a breath of fresh air. Just a breath of fresh air. And that's my desire for this series, the next four weeks, that this series will help revive you like a breath of fresh air. Because I think there's many people here today, many people in our church family, who just feel stuck. I mean, you just feel stuck. You feel stagnant. You feel lifeless. Somewhere in your life, you just feel, maybe it's emotionally. You just feel stuck emotionally. You can't figure it out. You're, you're struggling emotionally and you can't, you can't find a way out of it. You just feel stuck in that state. Maybe, maybe you feel stuck in your marriage. Like, like you're, there's just no life in your marriage and you just feel stuck and you're trying to figure it out and you're, you're not really making any progress. Many of you feel stuck in maybe your career or finances or business. And, and some people even feel stuck spiritually. Uh, like, like you just, you, you can't get a breakthrough. You're, you're, you're trying and you're, and you're wanting to connect to God and you just feel stuck. And so this series really is a series to help us get unstuck, to help us have a, a breath of fresh air, just kind of revive us and, and, and take you know, wind beneath our sails and just really kind of get us to that next level, get us moving again out of this stuck, stagnant, lifeless state that so many of us find ourselves in from time to time in different areas in our life. We're basing the series off of one of my pastor's books, Chris Hodges. He's the pastor of Church of the Highlands. Many of you know I've talked about him and the whole ARC movement. We're an ARC church. They were the first ARC church, and they've, they've helped coach us. And he wrote a new book this year called Fresh Air. And I would encourage you to read that book as a compliment to this series because he's going to get a lot deeper into some of this stuff. And I, and I really think this will help you. And this is really the series to start this year right. Stuck. Uh, first, I want to talk about being stuck in the doldrums. Now, here's my research for the day to make me appear a lot smarter than I actually am. Uh, I've heard people say they're just stuck in the doldrums. The doldrums is that place where you're just stuck. So I, I researched it out and studied it and found out what the doldrums is. It's actually a nautical term that sailors use for, for, for a certain area that was called the intertropical convergent zone. Now, aren't you impressed? Intertropical convergent zone. This is an area right around the equator where the northeast trade winds and the southeast trade winds meet and basically counsel each other out where there is no wind, there is no air, there is no movement. And 
It's not a big deal today because most of our ships today are, are controlled mechanically with engines and diesel and gasoline. But back in the day, this, was, this wasn't just bad news. This was a death sentence. If you were stuck in the doldrums, it just wasn't bad. You didn't get out. You literally, there, there was no wind in the doldrums. Nothing would blow you out of that place. You, your ship was literally stranded and you died in the doldrums. You were just stuck. There was no way to get out of it. And, and, and you and your sailors and, and shipmates were just literally stuck there until you died. It's a, it's a horrible place to be. But yet, we use this term for our life because it's such a great picture for the way so many people feel today. They feel like they're in the doldrums. They feel like they're just, they're just stuck, stuck emotionally, spiritually, in their marriage, their career, just, just stuck in this doldrums. And there's no wind, there's no air, there's, there's no breath. There's, you, you can't figure out, what do I do to get out of this place? I, I don't want to be in the doldrums, but I just feel stuck. And there's things that happen when you get stuck in the doldrums. And I want to go through that with you. The first thing that happens when you're stuck in the doldrums, if you're, if you're looking at your notes, is you start faking it. You start faking it. That's the first thing people do when they, when they get in this stuck place. They, they just fake it. They, they can't let anyone know. You can't, you, you got to look like you got it all together and everything's okay, but inside you're dying. I mean, you're in debt, you're in depression, you're struggling, you're stuck, but you can't let anyone know. So you fake it. I mean, the whole way to church, you're fighting in the car, and it's just World War III going on. And then as soon as you get out of the car, everything's fine. How you doing, brother? I'm good. Uh, I, I, all good. I mean, you're dying inside. You're fighting. You're bleeding. And, and, and you just fake it. You just go on faking it. We had a guy in our church, and uh, he, was in, he was in the early service today. And when he was a child growing up, they went to a church that was against everything. I mean, you, you know those churches, they're just against everything. And, and you know, his family, you know, really weren't living for God, but they had to act like they were living for God because they were church people. And so anytime other church people would come over to their house, they would literally hide the television set in the closet. They can't let anyone know they had a television set. So they would take the TV and put it in the closet anytime other church people came because they had to fake it. They had to look like they had it all together and they're living like everyone else and they're just faking it. You know, when you're, when you're in this place, when, when you're in this area, the worst thing that we do is we put Band-Aids over it. I mean, you know what I mean? We just, we just put a, we don't, we don't heal it. We don't deal with it. We just, we just cover it up. We just put a band. I mean, it, there's still pus and infection and sickness coming out. I mean, it's just nasty and gross. And you're just covering it up with a bandit because you can't let anyone know it's there. You, you just hide it. Jeremiah chapter six, he, he, he's dealing with this with some leaders. He's actually speaking this to leaders, Christian leaders in the day. He says, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. He's saying, listen, they're just slapping a Band-Aid over. They're hiding it. They're acting like it's not serious. Like, but, man, you're going to be amputating soon. Your, your gangrene is setting in, and you're going to be cutting that thing off, and you're just throwing a Band-Aid over it because you're acting like it's not there. He goes on to say, peace, peace, they say, when really there is no peace. I don't know how many people live like that. You know, leaders just, you know, and, and you've been there. I mean, you, you've had from time to time, you, you've kind of pulled the Band-Aid back a little bit. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't pull it all the way back because you don't want to really let them see how deep and ugly it is. You just kind of pull it a little bit back. And, and, and they just, you know, and then they just kind of blow you off. Oh, it's not that big a deal. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. And so what do you do? You, you feel rejected. You feel let down. So you just go on faking it. You just go on faking it. You just, you just go on, you know, with the Band-Aid. And you get a skin color Band-Aid now because you really want to fake it. And you just move on. And then what begins to happen is if you keep faking it, you get into number two, you put it off. 
you put it off. You, you begin to buy into the lie of tomorrow. I'll take care of it tomorrow. I'll put it off. I'll, I'll deal with it tomorrow. And then what we do is we buy into this lie that time heals. That time heals. Now, let me explain something. Time doesn't heal anything. Only the Holy Spirit heals. Time, in fact, if you don't deal with it, will make it worse. If you don't deal with the situation, if you don't address it, time's going to make it worse. And some of you, you know, this is what you're doing with your marriage. I mean, there there hasn't been life in your marriage in a long, there hasn't been a breath of fresh air in your marriage in a long time. It's just stuck in the doldrums. And you just keep saying, well, we'll put it off. Well, we'll deal with it tomorrow. Well, when the kids are older or or when they go off to college or my career is more stable, then then, then we'll work on it. And there's just, you know, maybe one day. Maybe one day you keep saying, you just keep buying into this lie that, that it'll, it'll work itself out tomorrow without ever dealing with it. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 says this, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. I don't want you to miss this today. I don't want you to miss God's grace for you. God wants to blow fresh air back into your life, back into your marriage, back into your emotions, back into your, to your spirit. And I don't want you to miss it. Don't miss this. See to it that nobody misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up. See, that's the lie of tomorrow. That, that, that's this lie of time heals. Time's not going to heal it. You're going to get a root. And, and when it first showed up, it was just a little weed. And how many know little weeds? I mean, two little fingers, you can whip that weed right out of the ground. But if you don't deal with that little weed, what happens? That little weed grows into this massive, bitter root. And before you know it, man, you've got heavy machinery in the front yard. And you're yanking that root out of the ground. And it's just a mess. It's a disaster. It's ugly. And now you've got a whole lot more damage to deal with. Because you could have pulled that little weed out of the ground. But then you let it grow into this big, bitter root. And now you're in trouble. And then you move into number three. You give up. You give up. You, you, you just give up. You, you just, I'm tired. I give up. I can't do this anymore. You just, you just give up. And, and let, me, let me explain something about the series that I do. When, when I teach a series, I'm not teaching a series at you. I'm teaching a series at us. I'm included in this thing. You know, this is just as much for me as it is for you. I mean, God may have appointed me as the spokesperson, but that doesn't mean these messages don't apply to my life. They apply to my life as much as they'd apply to your life. I read some research recently at Fuller Seminary. They said 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every single month. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry Every single, either they get burned out, they get tired, they quit, they give up, they have moral failure. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month. And so many of us, so many, so many of you today are so dangerously close to, to this stage of just giving up, giving up on God. God didn't do what I wanted him to do. I just give up on my faith. Get, giving up on your marriage. There's just no hope. Giving up on, giving up on family. And see, the tragedy is you lose hope. See, when you get, get in the doldrums, you just begin to lose hope. I mean, your refrigerator versus Job chapter 17, verse 13. Job, Job had a rough life. I mean, you know, Job, Job was rough. In seventeen thirteen, Job said, where then is my hope? Where's my hope? Then he goes on to say, who can see any hope for me? There's no hope. There's no hope. And so many of you have felt this way. There's just no hope. There's no hope for my marriage. There's no hope for my career. There's no hope for my emotions. There's no hope for my spirit. There's just, there's just no hope. And what's funny about this verse, I love it. He says, who can, who, who can see any hope for me? He's like, there's no hope for me. How many of you have ever realized in life that when somebody else has a problem, 
you become super counselor. You are like Dr. Phil when somebody else has it. You can easily see through it. You say, this is exactly what you need to do. But when you have a problem, it's just like, oh, I mean, it's like you have no hope. You, you, no one's ever dealt with this. Well, this is the hardest problem any human being has ever been through. You don't understand. I mean, that's just the way we get. I mean, we can easily solve everyone else's problems. We just can't, we just, we don't have any hope for our own problems. And then what happens is you get to stage four, you die, you die, you just die. You, you just, you, you gave up and, and, and now you just die. And some people, this is physically, you know, we saw this in our community last year where someone very popular, very loved, very successful, just gave up and he died. He took his own life. You know, some of you die mentally. You just check out. You know, you, you just died. You just checked out. You just, you're just not there anymore. You just, you couldn't deal with it. You died emotionally. You got a hard heart. I'm not going to let anyone hurt me again. And I'm just died emotionally inside. Some of you uh, have died morally. You'll, you'll sleep with anything, drink anything, eat, take anything. Don't, don't matter anymore. You just die morally. Some people even die spiritually. They, they just, they just give up on God and they just, they just leave. They just, and, and what I want you to understand today is some of the greats in the Bible felt this way. You know what I love about the Bible is the honesty of the Bible. That this is not new for us. That, that some of the great men of God and women of God in the Bible actually went through this stuff. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote half of the New Testament. One of the greatest apostles to ever live. L- l- let, me, let me explain to you the way he said it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8 and 9. Paul says, we were under great pressure. Far beyond our ability to endure how many have ever felt that? I just can't take it. I can't get it. I, this is crushing me. It's killing me. I can't take this anymore. It's so heavy. It's this pressure. And I just, I can't endure. I, I can't, I can't go, th- I can't go through another day like this. It's just, it's killing me. Paul goes on to say, so that we even despaired of life. I mean, I mean, I mean, this is the apostle Paul and he's despairing. Of, he doesn't even want to live anymore. He said, I just don't want to go through another day like this. I'd rather just, just I, I just can't. He's despairing of life itself. And then he goes on to say, indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. What is he saying? He said, man, I've died emotionally. He said, I, I just feel death inside. There's, there's no lie. I just feel dead on the inside. There, there's so much pressure. There's so much weight. I can't take it. I can't deal with this. I want to die. And I just feel dead on the inside. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. And many of us have been there. Many of us have felt this. And and what you need is you need a blast of fresh air. You just need to... Just this blast of fresh air to come back into your life and kind of revive you out of that stuck state, the doldrums that, that you found yourself in in different areas of life. And I promise you, if you will just give me the next four weeks and just a slight attempt at applying these things, I promise you, you're going to have this fresh air come back into your life. You're, you're going to feel this, this, this reviving, just this life that just takes hold of you. And it all comes down to a choice. And that's why I've titled today's message, The Choice. Because it comes down to a simple choice. Why? Because so many of us, when we get stuck in this state, when we find ourselves in the doldrums, this lifeless, stagnant state, so many of us make the wrong choice to try to get out. So many of us are doing the wrong things, trying to get ourselves out of that state. And we've got to learn how to make the right choice because doing the wrong things are never going to get you there. 
See, what many people think that, that I've, I, you know, they, they think I've got to do more things on the external. I've got to do more things on the outside because if I do more, I can get out of this state when really... It's not about doing more on the outside. It's about an inner transformation. It's about the internal. It's about what's going on on the inside. See, most people think that serving God is, I've got to do a whole bunch of nice things so that God will like me. When the reality is, no, I've got to get close to God and I've got to know God so that I will do nice things. See, the, the, the choice is, is not do we change from the outside in. The choice is do we change from the inside out. See, streams of living water flow from within. The change has to begin on the inside out, never the outside in. I mean, no, as long as you're trying to do things on the outside without dealing with the inside, it's going to result in death. It's going to result and you're never going to get out. You're going to stay stuck because doing more isn't the answer. This is the key to parenting. How many parents know, you know, the key to parenting is to train the child's heart. When so much of parenting today focuses on behavior modification, we're trying to modify the behavior of the child. We want the child to do what we want them to do, to to do the right things and not do the wrong things. And we, we continually focus on the behavior and we're not dealing with the heart. So what happens when the kid gets to college? You're not there to control the behavior anymore. And they go wild because you never trained the heart. It's not about the behavior. I mean, how many know you can get a kid to do basically anything you want a kid to do? I mean, you want a kid to sit still, you can duct tape them to a chair and they'll sit still. Now, don't do that, but you can do it. You know what I'm saying? I, I, mean, I mean, behavior modification isn't the goal. It's changing and transforming the heart. That's the goal. The same is true in marriage. I mean, I mean how many know you're not going to motivate your wife by saying, listen, I'm not going to cheat on you or commit adultery because the Bible says do not commit adultery. And, and, and if I commit adultery, I'm going to go to hell. So I'm not going to do this because the Bible tells me not to do that. I mean, that's not going to motivate your wife at all. That's not going to make her feel good about the relationship. The better option is to say, because I love you so much, I don't want to commit adultery. See, the best option is, is, is when you love her, then the other options really aren't options anymore. Because they're not appealing to you anymore because your love outweighs all of that. And that's the key. That's what we're trying to get here to get that fresh air back into our life. This is what the first story in the Bible is all about. Genesis chapter 2, it it all involves this choice. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, it says, In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There's the choice. You choose life or you choose the knowledge of good and evil. And that's just what we want as humans. We just want, just tell us what to do. Tell us what's good. Tell us what's bad. Just, Just tell us what to do. Nothing really happens on the inside. We just want to know what to do. And we just tend to lean that direction as human beings. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. See, God's saying, listen, I want you to have life. I want you to have this fresh air. And, and what we want to do is we just want to, we, we just want to know what to do. Just tell me what to do, God. Just, just give me the knowledge of good and evil. Just tell me what to do. I'll be your robot. And that leads us to death. And let me explain. Satan wants you to make the wrong choice. Satan desperately wants you to make the wrong choice. He wants you to choose death. And here's the choice. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. We're going to read this every week. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. 
That's my challenge to you today. Choose life. God's saying, listen, I've given you life or death. Please choose life. And let me give you this choice in three different variations. It's it's all the same choice, but I want to give you three different ways to look at the same choice because I think many of us are doing the wrong things, thinking we're doing the right things, and we're actually making the wrong choice. The first thing in your notes is doing more. That's the first option, doing more. I've got to do more. I've got to read more. I've got to pray more. Uh, I'm not going to do the one-year Bible. I'm going to do the one-year Bible twice a year. And I, I just, I need to do more. I need to go to church more. I need to be at three weekend services. I need to go to four small groups. I need to be at, be at two Bible studies. I got to do more. And so many of us think that that's the key to getting yourself out of the situation you're in. You got to do more. You got to work harder. I got to do more. If I, if I, if I can do more, I can get out of this, this state, this situation. And so much spiritually, you, you found yourself in the doldrums spiritually and you think the way to get out, okay, I got to do more. I got to read more. I got to pray more. And if I can do more, then I can get out of this state. That's why I love our church because we're a simple church. We are a simple church. Really, all we want you to do is find a small group that you love, of people that you like to hang out with, and, and join us on Sunday to worship God. Pretty easy. You know, when I grew up, church was tough. I mean, it was like you had to go to church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And then there was Bible study Tuesday and a breakfast on Thursday and a, and a Saturday event. And then, by the way, you still need to love your wife and have a job and be a good father. I mean, it was just tough to go to church growing up. I mean, it, it just killed you. I mean, it was so hard. It's just so much to do. We just want to be a simple church. So the choice is doing more or receiving what has been done. Doing more or receiving what has been done. See, he already did it. You don't have to do anything. He did it on the cross so that you could receive freely the grace of God, the righteousness of God, the love of God. It's not about doing more. It's just receiving what's already been done. If you'll realize what's already been done in your life, it'll change you. Jesus dealt with this in, in his day. In John chapter 5, he's dealing with some Pharisees that, that think by doing more, they're going to get eternal life. Look at this, verse 39. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. He's basically saying you can read all day long and it's not going to get you saved. You know, you can read and read and read and do and do and do, and that's not what it's about. He goes on to say, these are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Jesus is saying, you think reading them was the goal? No. Finding the person behind them was the goal. Finding the God behind the word was the goal to have relationship with him. Not, it's not about the amount you read. It's about finding the God in them. So I don't read the Bible every day because I have to read the Bible. I read the Bible because I want to know God. I want a relationship with him. I want him to speak to me and I want to hear from him. And I want, I want this, this relationship with God. Not, not because I have to. I just want to receive Here's the second variation of this choice. Option number one, trying to get God's approval. So many of you are trying to get God's approval. You think if you can work hard enough, that God will approve of you. You're just trying to get God's approval. I'll be honest. I grew up in the South, Southern Baptists. I mean, it was like, you know, we had the, the, this Wizard of Oz image of God. That, that God, I mean, you know, the, 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 the big green face, the red smoke. What do you want? I mean, it was like, you know, God would help us, but he really didn't want to help us. I mean, he really didn't like us all that much. And he felt like he was just like compelled to help us. And that's kind of that's the way I grew up. I mean, I, I didn't think God liked me at all. I thought if I worked hard enough and, 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 I, and I can possibly make him like me because God really... Really doesn't inherently like me. 
And that's the way I grew up. I thought I was always trying to earn God's approval. Like, like for somehow I was never good enough. And, 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 and if I could just work hard enough and do enough and, and be there enough that maybe God would let me slide in because he just really didn't like me. You know, many of us have that image of God. He's this cosmic cop in the sky just waiting to catch you speeding and strike you down with lightning every time you mess up. And it's just, it's just a terror. You see, the choice is trying to get God's approval or receiving God's love for you. See, that's the choice. You can try to get God's approval or you can receive God's love for you. God, he's crazy about you. Listen to this. I, I want to just say something. God knows what you did last week. And guess what? He still likes you. He still likes you. He still loves you. He's crazy about you. In fact, if God had a giant refrigerator in heaven, he would have your picture on it. He'd be telling everyone, this is my boy. This is my girl. I just love them. God loves you. He's crazy about you. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, think about that. Jesus wasn't sitting there on the cross right before they hammered in the nail. Hold on, don't hammer the nail yet. I just need to know, are you going to accept me? Are you going to say yes to me? Are you going to stop sinning? Don't, don't hammer, because I'm not going to let you hammer the nail unless I know you're going to give your life to me. No, he didn't do that. While you were still a sinner, while you were still broken, while you were still messed up, while you were still in, in, in the darkness you came out of, he still died for you. That's how much he loved you. He didn't make you clean up your life before he died for you. He died for you because he loves you because he wanted to give you hope. Receive God's love for you. You can either try to get his approval or you can receive his love. And then the last variation of this choice you can obey God out of duty. You can obey God out of duty. You see, I, I, that's what I used to think it was all about. You had to obey him out of duty. I honestly believe growing up, the more painful the church service was, the more points you got in heaven. Like church was supposed to be painful and hard and boring and mean. And it was just like, that's what I thought kneeling in prayer was all about. I thought God wanted us to be in pain while we prayed. God, can I get up now? It hurts. My knees are hurting. I mean, I honestly thought that's what it was all about. God just wanted us to be in pain to serve him. And, so, and I didn't like church all that much. I didn't like Christians even less. I mean, I had unsafe friends and their parents were much nicer than the Christian parents. I mean, they were just mean. I mean, growing up, the Christians in our church were just mean. And this is my theory. I actually believe this. I actually believe that they were so miserable because they wanted to sin and they couldn't. I thought that's why they were so, they just wanted to have that cigarette. They wanted to, they wanted to sin and they just couldn't sin. And so they were just mean because they, they couldn't sin. I actually believe that. Yeah, I just thought, I mean, it, it was just tough. I mean, no, Christianity is hard unless, unless you choose the other choice. You, you obey out of duty or you obey out of delight. See, that's the choice. You can obey out of duty or you can obey God out of delight. I can read God's word every day out of duty or I can read it out of delight because I want to know what he has to say to me. So that's why I say we are not a have-to church. At our church, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to give. You don't have to serve. You don't have to volunteer. You don't have to do anything around here. This is a want-to church. If you have to do it, there's something wrong with your relationship with God. 
There's something wrong. See, you should want to do these things because you love God and he loves you and you have a relationship. If you have to do it, you're viewing God the wrong way. See, I think all of us will find ourselves on one side or the other of, uh, of a comma in John chapter 14, verse 15. Let, let, me, let me give you this verse. If you love me, comma, you will obey what I command. See, I think all of us find ourselves either to the left or the right of that comma. If you love me, comma, you will obey what I command. And most people find themselves on the right side of that comma. And that, that'll lead you to death. See, you, you've convinced yourself, okay, I've got to obey what he commands, and I've got to do what he wants me to do, and, and I've got to do all of this stuff, because if I obey what he commands, then I love him. And I can prove my love for him. But the reality is, Jesus, what he was really saying, if you understand Jesus and you understand grace, he's saying, listen, if you'll love me, if you will love me, if you'll fall in love with me, if you'll make loving me the priority, then guess what? The byproduct is you'll obey what I command. You'll naturally do it because you'll delight in it, because you want to do it, because it becomes your passion to do it. See, what we think is we got to obey what he commands so that we love him. And Jesus is saying, if you'll just love me, then you will obey what I command because it'll be natural. It'll be the desire of your heart. You'll want to do it out of love, not out of duty. See, this is the key to the Christian life. Now, what I'm about to do is really embarrass myself. My wife was so frustrated with me last night and this morning for doing this. But I just got to be honest. When I grew up in high school, I, you know, I like to be a guy's guy as much as possible in and, and, and sports and everything else. I, you know, I love sports. But to be honest, I actually lettered in uh, theater in high school. I know, I know, that's, that's embarrassing. But I actually lettered in theater. And so I grew up doing musicals and theater and everything else. I know I'm just just. My wife's like, I cannot believe you told them that. Uh, but anyways, you know, I, I just did. And so one of the shows I was in growing up was a play called Fiddler on the Roof. You know, wonder a wonder, miracle. You know, so anyways, but so I was in Fiddler on the Roof. And it was this show about a, uh, a Jewish family in Russia back in the early 1900s. And the tradition, the custom was uh, Tevia, the father, had all these daughters. And the custom was you, you got a matchmaker because everything was a prearranged marriage. You didn't get to choose your spouse. You kind of you, you had a matchmaker decide for you who you were going to marry. And that's where we get this song. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a find, catch me a catch. So, the, <laughs> I know, this is horrible. I'm never going to live this down. So the clash was, these girls didn't want to marry these ugly old guys that their dad was bringing. And those matchmakers finding these ugly old guys. They wanted to fall in love, and they wanted to, they wanted to be in love, and they wanted to choose their own husbands. And so there's this, this big clash going on. And the father, he's like, no, this is, this is against our custom. This is against protocol. This is not the way to do it. This is not... I don't know why he was doing that in the thing, but if they say no tradition, you, this is about religion and tradition and you've got to do, 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 do. It's not about love. And then what happens is, is the father Tevia now becomes concerned about his own marriage because he was brought together through a matchmaker. And now he begins to wonder, does my wife love me? 
because she was forced to marry me. So now are we really in love or are we just forcing ourselves to go through the motion? And is there really love? And so he begins to ask the question. And I want you to hear uh, how she replies to the question he asks her. Do you love me? Do I love you? For 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked your cow. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? See, he asked her, do you love me? And she responds with the external. She says, well, look at all I've done for you. I've fed you. I've given you children. I've cleaned the house. I've done all of the stuff. And he said, yes, yes, I, I know. But do you love me but i've done all of this stuff for you yeah yeah but do you love me and i think that's a song that god is singing to many of you this morning because there's a lot of you out there god is saying do you love me you're saying but god i haven't missed church in 10 years yeah yeah but do you love me? but god i'm doing all this stuff i give money to the poor and and and, and i volunteer and i i read my bible and god's saying yeah 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 but do you love me do you love me it's not about all the stuff that you do for him do you love him and this is fresh air principle number one that I want to give you as we begin the first week see Jesus said there's many people trying to do external things in Matthew chapter 7 he says many will say to me on that day Lord Lord Do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? So these people are saying, Jesus, look at all that we did for you. We did this for you and we did this for you and we did this for you. And then Jesus says them in verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. Yeah, but but I'm doing all this stuff for you, God. Yeah, but do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? See, your eternal life isn't given to you by your performance. It's given to you by your relationship. You can't earn your way into heaven. It's not about doing enough stuff. It's not about being good enough. And so fresh air principle number one is fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. Just just fall in love with Jesus today. Just, just get, just fall in love. If you love me, you'll, you'll keep my commitment. Fall in love with Jesus. It'll change your life. It's not about how much you can do for him. It's about loving him and knowing him and having relationship with him. Would you close your eyes with me today as we close the service? In a moment, I'm going to say a prayer. And in this prayer, we're just going to dedicate our life to Christ. We're going to ask God to take priority of our life. We're going to make him first. We're going to say yes to him and become part of his family. And so what I'd like to do before I say that prayer is I just want to invite anybody that needs to join me in that prayer. If today you don't have a relationship with God, the way to do it is to say yes to his son. If you're away from God, maybe you 
are just away from God. And God today is saying, I want you to come home. I love you. I want you to come back. I want you to come home. There's nothing you could have done. There's, there's nowhere you could have been that God will not lovingly take you home. Some of you, you just need to say yes to God this morning. You just need to say, God, I want to be a part of your family. I want to know you. I just want to say yes to you today. So if you'd like to join me in that prayer, maybe it's the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like this, or maybe you're just making a decision to come home today. Whatever situation you're in today, if you'd like to join me in this prayer with every eye closed, would you just raise your hand quickly so that I can say a prayer for you? Just raise your hand right now quickly, and I'll say a prayer for you. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Who else? The process is simple. You can put your hands down. I want you to just say this prayer in your heart. God can hear your thoughts. You don't need to say it out loud, but just just the first part of the prayer, just say, God, I invite you to take over my life. I say yes to you. So just say, God, I give you my life this morning. The second part of that prayer is just say, God, forgive me. I need your forgiveness today. the last part of that prayer is that I'd like you to just say thank you to God. Just say, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for welcoming me home. Thank you for letting me be a part of your family. Just say thank you. You can look up here for a moment. If you prayed that prayer today, I would encourage you to do one more thing on your own. On the back of the connect card in your worship pack, there's a box that says, I made a decision to put God first in my life today. I would encourage you to check that box, drop it off in one of our tithe and offering boxes in the back. We want to connect with you. We want to pray with you. We want to help you walk out the decision you're making to put God first in your life. Also, there's these books outside. They say, now what? It's a great question for people who recently made a decision to put God first. It'll walk you through the steps of, what do I do next? Now what? Or join us for lunch for the 101 class. It'd be a great start to this new journey of of your faith. And I would encourage everybody here today uh, to make the choice. He says, I put in front of you life and death. Choose life. Choose life. God is asking you today, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? So let's make a decision as a church today that we're going to fall in love with Jesus. We're going we're to take the fresh air principle, number one. And we're just going to fall in love with Jesus this week. We're going to... We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna read our journals. We're gonna go through the Bible this week, not because we have to, but because we just want to fall in love with Him. We want to know what He has to say to us. We want that life coming into us. Would you stand with me as we close? I just want to pray a prayer, a blessing over you as we leave. This is our first Sunday of 2013, and I really believe God's gonna do some really incredible things in your life this year individually. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you, God for giving us this new year. And in this new year, we know, Lord, that you want to do new things in our life. You want to speak to us. You want to bless us. God, in you, the best is yet to come. So let us take the first step this year. So next 21 days, let's just set them apart, prayer and fasting. Let us just fall in love with you. Let us get into the word daily and read the Bible together as a church family. Let us just really dedicate this to you, God. We are, we are Christians, God. We just want to live like it. We just want to live like it. We're not just people who show up on Sunday, but we are Christians every day of the week. 
So we just want to live like it. And we want to honor you. And we want to glorify you with our life. Thank you for loving us. Thank you. It's not about how much we do, but it's about how much we receive because you already did it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week.